Today's scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 19, verses 1 to 12, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? Y dijo, Por esto el hombre dejará padre y madre, y se unirá a su mujer, y los dos serán una sola carne. Así que ya no son más dos, sino una sola carne. Por tanto, lo que Dios juntó, no lo separe el hombre. Y le dijeron, ¿Por qué, pues, mandó Moisés dar carta de divorcio y repudiarla? Él les dijo, por la dureza de vuestro corazón, Moisés os permitió repudiar a vuestras mujeres, mas al principio no fue así. Jesus说,这话不是人都能领受的,唯独赐给谁,谁都能领受,因为有生来是人人,也有被人淹的,并有为天国的缘故自淹的,这话谁能领受? Welcome to one of our services at S City Church. My name is Stephen, one of the pastors here. And today I have a pleasure to share God's word with you as we continue to think about the uh, series that we are in called Kingdom Values. Now, before I continue, um, you know, uh, for months we've been uh, sharing the gospel with you through virtually through, uh, and I'm preaching through a lens right here. And, uh, you know, it's okay, but we can't wait to come together soon. And, and, uh, and sometimes in August, we want to do, we want to start live streaming. So myself and the pastoral staff, we're very excited for that moment to come. So can't wait for you to come together and, and we'll start worshiping together as a community. So I just wanted to give that little plug in, but let's go right into the series. Today, uh, we're continuing the series of Kingdom Values, and, um, and, and we're, looking, we're looking at chapters verses 18 through 20. And the whole point is that uh, one of the core values that's exercised in the Kingdom of God, where Jesus reigns and where He came from, is humility. And, uh, and, and Jesus brought this heaven to earth, and Jesus explicitly teaches us here about humility in these chapters that we're looking at. And, and I know the world has yet to fully experience what that is, so that's why we're looking at this. You know, I've been saying all along that the church has been given this task to exercise this value of humility with one another for the purpose of drawing unbelievers to Jesus. The, the fruit of humility is love, which is, again, the litmus test 
uh, that, that we belong to Jesus. And by being with Jesus, it validates his message and the purpose for which he came into this world. And the church is the place where loving one another can be fully and truly experienced if the church undertakes and exercises the kingdom value of humility. Now, just reviewing in chapter 18, we saw that Jesus illustrates humility uh, with a child, remember? And then later on, we saw that humility uh, was applied uh, in, in the conflict that we have one another, particularly in the church. We also saw the power of humility that leads to forgiveness that we saw last week with Pastor Justin. And today, we're going to see how humility can overcome divorce, which is a very practical problem in marriages today. So I want to look at this in three headings. One, the Pharisees' understanding of the divorce, or actually their misunderstanding. Secondly, Jesus' teaching on divorce, which essentially is that that was never his plan. And thirdly, the gospel solution for divorce, which is our topic here of humility. So let's look at the first one. The Pharisees' understanding of divorce, which, is, which was their misunderstanding of it. Now, in this context, let me ask you this question. Why are the Pharisees introducing the subject of divorce right here in chapter 19? And there's a couple of reasons. One, I think introducing this subject reveals a relationship between the Pharisees and how they interpret the law of God. You know, other gospel writers such as Mark and Luke also show that, this, that the topic of divorce that the Pharisees is doing is, is before and after a topic of money and prestige, which leads me and us to infer that the Pharisees were more interested in money than the law of God, prestige, and status over compassion and marginalized people. And in today's topic, the Pharisees were more interested in divorce as a legal right rather than upholding God's intention for marriage. Now, if you read the Gospels, the Pharisees were interpreting the law in a way that typically missed the intent of God's law. You know, there is explicit teaching about divorce in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, but they missed the intent of God's heart in the law of Moses. Second, the reason why this topic is important, I'm sorry, the reason why this topic of divorce is raised by the Pharisees is secondly, to trap him. And you see this in verse 3, it says they were there to test him, right? And so the topic of divorce, the uh, topic of divorce, was a no-win situation for Jesus because there existed a division within the Pharisees' camp in how it was viewed. So no matter how Jesus answered uh, this, this question, uh, they would get him with the law, with their own laws of interpretation. So listen to how they asked this question. In verse 3, it says, they asked, is, the law, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Just, just listen to the way they ask that question. Just by asking the question this way, you can see that divorce was quite common. Although the Pharisees were a collective group of people, their views on divorce actually had two major camps. First, the first camp was called the Hillel camp. And Hillel camp was a very, they, they interpreted uh, divorce very broadly. And they granted divorce to just about anybody. And in fact, the Hillel camp had maintained that a man might divorce his wife on any matter that provoked the husband's displeasure with his wife. Imagine that. 
and it gets worse, such as cooking a poor dinner, maybe ruining a dish, or finding a prettier woman than your wife. These, it's absurd, but these conditions could be legitimate grounds for divorce. The other camp is the Shammai camp. And many, uh, and, and their, their interpretation is this, that a man may not divorce his wife unless he found, quote, some indecency in her. Now, uh, this indecency does not refer to adultery, which is a violation of commandment number seven. And in both the Hillel camp and the Shammai camp, adultery automatically leads to divorce. So that's not what they're talking about. The Shammai camp says, divorce was to be strictly limited that only under certain rigid, defined conditions could divorce ever be granted. So some indecency refers to violations of propriety, such as uh, a woman, a wife conversing with another man, or walking down the street revealing her bare arms, or loosening her hair in public, as well as any other transgression she might have uh, 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 acted upon. Those were considered indecent uh, indecencies, and those were grounds for divorce. So in verse 3, the Pharisees asked, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And you see, that's the kind of interpretation they wanted. They just wanted Jesus to side with somebody. Now, in the church today, we also face issues with divorce, don't we? And, 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 and a lot of it is due to misunderstanding of what the scripture teaches on divorce. Whereas the Pharisees granted divorce for spurious reasons, the church's misunderstanding of divorce spurns and marginalizes divorced persons in the church as, quote, special class of believers. And we're not saying that with flattery. They're often looked at them with pity or or they throw shame on them, or even misjudge them as less than spiritual. And I really wish this were not true in the church, but, but unfortunately, uh, we see a lot of this. And in many church and denominational policies, uh, it is explicitly there that divorced men or divorced people in ministry are not allowed to be pastors or leaders because of their marital situation. We also see that certain Baptist churches teach that any divorced persons may not remarry, otherwise they're committing adultery. Unless, there's a clause though, unless the former spouse dies. Um, another example, evangelical churches typically focus so much on family and children and strong marriages, and often divorced people feel marginalized and rejected because of those emphasis. So why does the church misunderstand of divorce this way? Just like the Pharisees, it is a combination of not really getting what Deuteronomy 24 is about, and even this passage in Matthew 19, not really understanding what Jesus is saying, along with other passages like Mark 10 and Luke chapter 16 where divorce is taught. But what is, mis uh, what is misunderstood the most is this often quoted verse in Malachi 2.16 which states, which says that God hates divorce. You say, well, that sounds very clear to me. God hates divorce, so there you go. But the problem is not that clear in the original Hebrew. 
You see, most translations says, quote, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. But the problem is that this translation is not reflected in the original language uh, because uh, there is no first-person pronoun I in the original language in Hebrew. And in fact, in ESV, the version we're reading, it says this, For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, cover his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not be faithless. You see, prophet Malachi is warning that God hates the man who tosses out his wife, who hurts his wife who mistreats her, who covers her with violence, especially so because her husband is supposed to be her protector. But listen, even if we grant uh, the translation that God hates divorce, that it means this, that divorce endeavors to steal, kill, and destroy God's creation. And it violently destroys the spirit of everyone that, uh, that is involved, including children, including extended family and friends, and even their community. That's why God hates divorce. God does not hate the, the person who is divorced. And it does not mean that because God hates divorce, you must never divorce. Even if a spouse is being abusive, or being neglected, or, or desert you, or in, in a toxic environment. And it does not mean that being divorced imprison you against remarriage. And it does not mean that you are less spiritual and God respects you less, and on and on and on that people who are divorced experience. As one Bible teacher, theologian Kevin DeYoung says, every divorce is a result of sin, but not every divorce is sinful. So to understand divorce, mainly from Malachi 2.16, it is not wise. You must understand the whole counsel of Scripture to understand what the Bible says about divorce. Now, as a result, just like the Pharisees, the church misunderstands divorce because they see it as more legal to the letter of the law rather than God's intended view of marriage gone awry. So that's why we need to understand what, how Jesus teaches on divorce. So point number two, here's his point. Here's Jesus' teaching. That was never his plan. You know, knowing that this was a trap and knowing that the Pharisees had no interest in restoring the pain of those who are divorced, how did Jesus respond to that type of question? Here, here's what Jesus did. He does not play this game. In fact, he enters the trap and, this, and he dismantles the their question in brilliant ways. Now, how did he do this? Instead of taking sides, Jesus emphasized the sanctity of marriage and the warning against the looseness of divorce that uh, held among uh, the Pharisees of that day. And this is what he said in verse 4. He, Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. You know, this is often quoted in marriage ceremonies because this is God's design and answer to divorce. 
So Jesus' answer to divorce is this again. Since God had joined the couple together, God is the Lord of marriage. God never ordained or created the institution of divorce. Man did. Jesus' answer to divorce was that it was not meant to be, especially when God joins a man and a woman together. You see, Pharisees didn't hear that clearly, so their comeback was, then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said, you don't get it. And he says, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, here it is, it was not so. Now, is this ideal? Can it really happen? You know, disciples are listening in, and they didn't believe it either. And uh, so they chimed in, and in verse 10, look what they said. If such is the case of a man with his wife, then it is better not to marry. You know, singles today <clears throat> do not find marriage very attractive because, you know, they see more divorces than healthy and happy marriages, don't they? And if divorce is not in God's plan and divorce is destructive to everyone involved, singles are saying, just like the disciples, it's okay, I'd rather stay single. You know, I uh, heard this illustration where this guy was fighting with his wife and was so upset. And so, uh, but he realized what he did wrong. So he went to this uh, card store and, and he was trying to find a card to say, I'm sorry, right? And as he was looking around, there's this old man and, and he's kind of like, kind of knew what was going on. So he looks at this guy, this young guy, who, you know, and then knowing that he had a fight because his, his card, you know, had like, I'm sorry kind of thing. And he looked at him and said, isn't marriage grand? And the guys and the young man's like, um, I guess so. But he looked at him and said, right in his eye, but divorce is a hundred grand. See, God's standard for marriage is high and divorce is not the first option as freely taught by Pharisees and what we're doing in this culture. But at the same time, being single is not the answer either. That's why in verses 11 and 12, Jesus is saying that only a few can handle being single. And if you're wondering if you should remain single for the rest of your life, a lot of singles ask me that question. And the answer is no, most likely you're not. Because according to Jesus, only a few are called to be single, not because they don't want to fail marriage or they don't want to get divorced, but they are called to be single. And God's going to give you grace for the sake of the kingdom to be single. So... Is there a way to enter marriage and not worry about divorce? Yes, there has to be an answer. And the third point is the gospel. There is a gospel solution to divorce. You know, marriage is hard. It takes a lot of work. Now, since this message is not about marriage, let me just get right to the point. When the kingdom value of humility is not operative in a marriage, whether they are a Christian marriage or not a Christian marriage, let me say something that is sobering. Divorce is inevitable. Remember, Jesus taught that divorce in marriage was never God's plan, which means the decision to go with God's way or do it our way is our decision. And if Divorce unfortunately results, that means we decided to not uphold 
God's intention in marriage. So I just want to say that first. Now for those who are married, and if you want to uh, have a strong marriage so that you can avoid divorce, uh, then you have to be willing to work hard, right? The way God planned. And, and I ask that you take this lesson to heart. And this is how you do it. One of the keys to a marriage that will not end in a divorce is to exercise the kingdom value of humility in your marriage. That is the secret. We learn in chapter 18 when there are disagreements with one another, in the ch particularly in the church. Remember, Jesus gave us a way to resolve issues, those three-step process. Remember that? Let me review. Step number one was you keep the matter private. Step number two was to ask for others uh, for help. And step number three is if that doesn't happen, then ask the church for help. Remember that? Just like Matthew 18 principle, uh, your marriage can only work and not end in divorce when the kingdom value of humility is exercised between a husband and wife in that marriage. You know, in marriage, there is offense all the time between husband and wife. There's arguing and fighting, and that is appropriate, okay? And that is important. But here's the thing. The key is resolution. Now, if you keep fighting and fighting, there's no resolution, then we get into trouble. But if a husband and wife uh, has, have differences and disagreements and they have issues, but, but they can resolve, that is the key to how a marriage becomes healthy. And in the Matthew 18 process, what I'm just describing is step one. And listen to this. If humility is exercised by one of the parties, whether it be the husband or wife, and, and if one of them exercises humility, then resolution will happen in that, uh, uh, in that argument. And, and once resolution happens, the marriage becomes stronger because there's a deeper understanding and forgiveness. And, uh, and the, both sides then will be humble for being wrong. And again, that is the secret to marriage. And let me just emphasize the point that it happens, happens in step one, that, that uh, all this anger and bitterness can be resolved at every step in a marriage conflict. But if there is an impasse and humility is not shared between the spouse, then what is a couple to do? They move to step two. Step two is to find people, find matured and seasoned couples perhaps to help you to get over this hurdle. Uh, maybe couples need to go to couples counseling and go to marriage counseling. And you know, in our church, I wanna uh, uh, encourage you that that is not a dirty word. And in fact, that is an important process, especially in marriages, because if we cannot see eye to eye, we will need uh, a third view. And that's what marriage counseling does, especially Christian marriage counseling, and is absolutely helpful. And this is part of working out marriage. And usually, hopefully, uh, humility is received and the issues are resolved. But if there is no humility in that part, and if you refuse to go see counseling, and, and, and even if you do go see your counseling, and uh, both of you are not willing to be humble, then the Matthew 18 process says go to step three, which is ask the church for help. Now, before you make any decisions, 
to 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 find a divorce lawyer or send papers to your to your spouse to sign to end the marriage. Let me ask you to please, please involve your spiritual leaders, involve your pastor into this conversation. Why? It's not because I want to get into your mess, no way. But because if you're a Christian and you're a member of God's church, you made a vow saying that you're going to, you're going to live in God's ways and you're going to live it well before God and before others. And if you can't help it, you made a vow to say, may the church of God help us in our lives. Listen, if you're a believer, I really believe that you can be reconciled no matter how big and how grave the offenses could be in a marriage. You know why? Listen to what, um, what St. Paul says in Romans 5. He says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, we will be saved by His life. Listen, you're a Christian. Jesus reconciled us to God. And so therefore, it is absolutely possible for him to reconcile us to each other. And listen, and listen to what uh, St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 about reconciliation. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Reconciliation is possible because of what Jesus had done for us already. That's why I'm appealing to you that in step three, bring the church in because you are a believer. And if you're committed to God and you're committed to uh, one another, Reconciliation must happen, and it can. But at the same time, I know it's hard. So couples, marriage couples, if you ever thought about divorcing your spouse, I know, I know from this message that it is not from a place of humility. It was from a moment of being offended, maybe, or misunderstood, or you were angry. And if you are one step away from making divorce happen, it was... It wasn't an overnight decision, I know that, because it was an aggregate of all those offenses piled up to such that there is no more room for humility, so I understand that. And in this way, you become just like the Pharisees, you know? You're looking at your marriage like a legal relationship. Did my spouse cross the line of legal offense in this marriage so I can divorce him or her? You know, if the violation of Seventh Commandment of adultery has happened, then it is obvious. You have the right and there is no argument. But um, it is possible to not even go there. You know, uh, what I want you to see is um, uh, sandwiched in between Matthew 18 and what we're talking about divorce is the parable on forgiveness that Pastor Justin preached on last Sunday. And this structure just tells you that when God's people exercise God's value of, hum of humility, one of the results that come out of this is what? Forgiveness, which is the fruit that can be experienced in marriage, in almost irreconcilable uh, differences. 
If we exercise humility, forgiveness is absolutely possible. So if God's people work out the kingdom value of humility with one another, there is no relationship that cannot be restored, but it takes humility from above. And church, I just want to encourage you, especially those who are divorced, you're not second-class citizens, you're not marginalized, you are a redeemed person of God. And yes, divorce is a sin, but Jesus Christ died for sins. And you know what he did with you and me and everyone else who sins, whether you're divorced or not? He reconciled us to God. So you are beloved. Marriage couples, we don't have to go through divorce because only in Christ is there hope to be reconciled if we enter our marriage with humility. So I want to encourage you with these words. Jesus says, um, this is God's plan for marriages. And let's receive it with humble hearts as we live this life together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this message of humility and divorce. I thank you that divorce was never part of your plan. It is us humans who have uh, entered this. And I pray Father, for so many couples and marriages that are, that are struggling, that your grace will fall upon them right now and that you give both parties your humility that is from on high. And I pray that you reconcile them. Thank you, God, for reconciling other marriages that were on the brink of divorce and yet you brought them back. Thank you for the power of reconciliation that you give us in Christ Jesus. And may we experience it not only in our marriages, but may we experience it in our church so that we can show this world that you are God as we are humble, as you give us that humility. Thank you, Father, for your grace to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.